We're going to turn our attention now to the Word of God. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be starting a new sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. As Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem to go to the cross. But but before we get to that sermon series, we want to recognize that uh, it's the beginning of a new year. Okay, 2018. Some of us are still writing 2017 on our checks or whatever documents, but we're, we're, we're getting adjusted to the new idea that it is a new year. And Americans often do something at the beginning of a new year. What, what, what do we often do? Maybe not you, but you, you know people who do things. I'm giving you a hint by the slide behind me. <laughs> what do we do? We make resolutions, and most of those resolutions have to do with improving the self. How do I... How do I become a better version of me? Maybe how do I become a whole new me this year? And even though that's a, that's a cultural practice in, uh, in the United States and maybe other parts of the world, it's actually something that the Spirit is interested in. I don't know if you knew that. The, Spirit's, the Spirit is interested in you becoming a better version of you. In fact, his key task is to see you become something more than what you are right now. He wants to see you become more like Christ. Now, why is that? Well, because that's your original design. We're, we're, we're made in the image of God because this character will give glory to God uh, because you will become a blessing to the people around you. In fact, you'll become a blessing to yourself if you become more like Christ because God loves us. He loves us just as we are, but he loves us enough to not leave us as we are. So following him involves transformation. Now some will call this discipleship. In fact, the scriptures use that term to to describe this becoming more like Jesus. And in this sermon, I want to talk about uh, ways our church is focusing on that this year and trying to create more understandable pathways of discipleship. Uh, And and we confess that sometimes we have, we've been maybe not as quite as clear as we could be, but this year we're trying to focus on that and and serve you better in, in this regard so that you, your family, our church family as a whole can enter into these pathways of discipleship for our good and for God's glory. <clears throat> but before I, I get to, to those programs and the things that we're doing, let's, let's look at what God is really calling us to as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires... And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the, to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, 
so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Lord, we come to this passage and we ask that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and minds. We, as we pray that you have already been at work in our worship now, Lord, as we submit ourselves to your word in worship, would your spirit give us an understanding, not simply of the vocabulary, not simply of the sentence structure, but to the spiritual application of this passage, of this message to, to our lives. Father, by your spirit, work in us what you are exhorting us to in this, in this very scripture, to be more like Jesus. Work that in us, Lord, that when we leave this place, we are more like Christ than when we came. We ask that for our good and your glory. We pray it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. This image of putting on the new self, I, I, I love this, uh, this image. If you spent any time with me uh, somewhere in a uh, Sunday school or, or in, a, in a one-on-one and I'm talking about our transformation, I, I, I probably have talked about this, this idea of, of the new self, of becoming someone new. But the question for us all is really how does that happen? Um, my experience tend to be one of making resolutions of saying, I'm going to do better. I'm going to cut down on this. I'm going to do more of that. I'm going to spend more time with this person, making promises to myself, maybe even to other people, and then failing. Well, evidently, I'm not alone in that experience. I came across this, this interesting article by a Boston Globe writer, a man named Matthew Gilbert. Uh, and let me, let me read some of it to you. He's writing about a New Year celebration that he, he had experienced. Two weeks ago, when I danced in the New Year a little too breathlessly, I decided to start improving my aerobic capacity, building muscle, and cutting way down on carbs, just like every other resolution-making, pasta-loving schlub in America, <laughs> the land of the gluten-free and the brave. I located a self-help book, Wheat Belly, by Dr. William Davis, whose title spoke directly to the last few years of my life, much of which has been spent reaching into restaurant bread baskets. Just envisioning the lean, strong, self-controlled person I am meant to, to be felt empowering. I got a hope bus. And someday, I swear, I will open that book which sits waiting on the bathroom shelf, bookshelf on top of You, the Owner's Manual by Drs. Michael F. Rosen and Mamet C. Oz. Someday I will turn my lard belly into a hard belly. But like many of the millions who buy self-help books in whose numbers there is definitely a spike after New Year's Day, says Jim Milliot of Publishers Weekly, I will probably not change. Of the 45% of Americans who usually make New Year's resolutions, according to statisticbrain.com, only 8% are successful. Mm. Becoming the new self, taking on new habits, 
becoming a better version of ourselves? It's, it's really an age-old question. Uh, self-help books in the past you know, decades or so have addressed it, but, but really philosophers and religious leaders through the ages have been seeking to answer that question, whether it's Judaism or Islam or even, even ex- almost extinct but ancient religions like Zoroastrianism, uh, we're looking at it. Anybody ever hear of Zoroastrianism? Just a couple people have heard of Zoroastrianism. It was really big about 1,500 years ago. But whether it's, it's an extinct religion or a current religion or a current philosophy, people are seeking to answer this question, how do we become better selves? How do we realize it? Well, I can tell you one thing, that it doesn't happen through sheer force of will. It doesn't happen through making resolutions. It comes through the grace and power of God. That's what we see in verse 23. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. It doesn't say renew yourselves. It says be renewed, which means you're being acted on by someone else. By who? Who is working on us? God. You don't sound so confident. <laughs> but it's God. It's the Holy Spirit. And that's where we need to place our active participating faith in God, in his gospel, in his work on our behalf. And in so doing, we will know the new self. But where does it begin? Where does it begin, this idea of becoming a new version of me? Well, the scripture says in verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Okay, what is that old self? Some translations have old man, but, but what is this old self? Well, Paul describes it more than he defines it. He talks about it in verse 17. Now this I say in testifying the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. What is this old self. Well, it's the self that is focused only on the things we can see and touch. Uh, it's the self that can't see beyond its own experiences of pleasure, but, but also of pain. Uh, the self that has been hardened by those experiences of life. This self is imprisoned by its own selfish pursuits and cut off, not only from the people around them, but from God. This hardness of heart then leads people into all kinds of selfish pursuits. And I want to just point out, Paul talks about what we are inwardly and then the actions. He doesn't say, oh, these bad actions are what you need to be concerned about. No, no, no. It's what you are inside that's problematic. And then it leads to these awful things, sensuality and immorality, verse 19, theft, verse 28, crude and foul talk, verse 29, bitterness, rage, anxious fits, and intent to harm others, verse 31. That is the natural self. That's you. Or it was you. This idea of looking out for number one, and then the anxiety that comes from that, of of thinking that it all rests on your shoulders, that if if something's going to get done, it's got to be me that does it. There's an anxiety to that, and that anxiety often births a mean-spiritedness to the people around us. Well, that seems kind of familiar to me. How do I get rid of that? 
How do I put it off? And some of us think that we do it through discipline. We get up early and we pray. No, no, no don't, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying don't get up early and pray. But, but we think that it, we do it through our own efforts. We deny ourselves pleasures. We do all kinds of hard work. We, we impose a spirituality on ourselves. But this understanding of spirituality is actually condemned as futile by Paul in the book of Colossians because, again, it's a self-imposed spirituality. It's pushed on us from the outside and doesn't really ever touch our hearts. And that's the problem. We need a transformation of heart. We don't need new habits. We need a new nature. Theologian John Murray goes further to point out the problem and and even the pain uh, of the idea of imposing a spirituality on people who have not been truly transformed. This is what he writes. To say to the slave who has not been emancipated, do not behave as a slave, is to mock his enslavement. But to say the same to the slave who has been set free is the necessary appeal to put into effect the privileges and rights of his liberation. We sometimes, we keep thinking we are a slave to our sin, that we are a slave to the judgment that comes along with that and the shame and the fear that we have associated with it. And we keep living that way. What we need is a transformation of heart. And that's exactly what Paul talks about. He says to put off the old self, we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Something miraculous needs to happen in our hearts and minds. And indeed, If you're in Christ, something miraculous has happened. We've been born again. The old self, that old man, has been crucified with Christ. That's what Galatians tells us, what Paul writes in Galatians, that we've been joined to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, that we share in his death. And that old person who is a slave to sin, who can't help but be afraid of judgment and and, and the shame that, that we feel from other people, That person's been crucified. And instead, we've been given a new life. And the Spirit of God has taken up residence in us. And we've been given a new mind. We've been given eyes to see the truth, ears to hear the truth. Paul talks about that if that has really happened in you, then this fear, this shame, that's part of the former way of living. But often we we keep living like it's true. We keep living like we're still slaves. John Murray again writes this about this passage. He, Paul, is urging the Ephesians, them, to desist from certain sins, sins which are indeed characteristic of the old man, the old self. And the reasons he adduces for such abstinence is that they have put off the old man and put on the new man. Since this is the case, Paul is saying, in effect, do not practice those sins which are after the pattern of the old man, but behave as new men, as new selves, as indeed you are. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you put your faith in the gospel, that, that Christ has taken up residence in you, that has put to death this this former self, and that there's a new principle of life at work in you, that there's a truth at work in you. You've been born again. You are free. You have a new nature. You are sons. You are daughters. Do you believe this? Do you live like it's true? Or do you you live captive to the past? Now, I found 
this exhortation illustrated in the most unlikely of places, illustrated very powerfully in the most unlikely of places, a Disney movie. There's this scene in The Lion King, and I remember watching it. I was in seminary when I was watching it, and I thought, oh my gosh, that's, that's, that's what Paul's talking about, about having the new self and, and living as if it's true. Where we see this scene of Simba, the son, who's living in the shame of what he thinks he has done, and he has a vision of his father who comes to remind him of the truth. Let's watch the scene together. music there, but communicating something very important for us as Christians. Do you remember who you are? Because you are more than what you have become. And God, by his spirit, wants to call that out of you. How do you view yourself? Who do you think you are? Do you think of yourself as a, as a hopeless sinner, as a failure, as an ignored nobody, as a betrayed fool? Well, if you're viewing yourself that way, no wonder you slander, no wonder you steal, no wonder you harbor resentment. But in Christ, you are somebody new. And these old ways of behaving just don't match it. So when you're tempted to use that razor-sharp tongue to cut down someone who has hurt you, when you're tempted to bully someone who has denied you the respect you think you deserve, remember who you are and put those old clothes down. That's our active participating in the gospel by faith, recognizing and believing the truths the gospel teaches us and then walking as if it really is true. That's faith. That's living faith. Living by faith in the gospel. That Jesus really did crucify the old self and gives you a new life. Do you believe it? And the gospel goes further than simply saying this old self, this this slave to fear and shame. It's more than that. It's also putting on the new self, believing that, not just that the old nature is gone, but that there is a new principle of life seeking to work itself out in us. So what exactly is that? What is the new self? Verse 24 begins to describe it. Paul says, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what's so uh, amazing about Paul, but also kind of frustrating. He's so knowledgeable of the scriptures. He's making references to things that sometimes he doesn't explicitly talk about. When he talks about the likeness of God, 
he's hitting on something. And we've got to unpack it. Okay? Some of you know your Bible. We were made in a certain kind of way. Does anybody know how we were made? In whose image were we made? Say it like you mean it. We were made in God's image. We're made in the image of the divine, the majestic. That is, that is who we are in our created selves. Um, C.S. Lewis put it so well, you have never met a mere mortal in all your life. But that self has been broken by the fall. Now Christ comes to save us, save us from judgment. And we think of salvation that way, that, that God forgives us our sins. But actually salvation is more than that. Salvation is conforming us to the image and character of someone. Does anybody know who that is, what the scriptures say about that? Whose image are we being conformed to? Jesus Christ. Salvation is being conformed to the image of Christ. Well, well, what is Jesus' character like? Hebrews gives us a hint. It tells us that Jesus is the perfect representation of who? So that was harder because Hebrews is not as well known a book. But that's right. Jesus is the perfect representation of God. So in salvation, whose image are we being conformed to? Christ, who is in the image of? So God is trying to put right what was broken at the beginning. He's trying to give us back our true selves, our original selves. And Paul describes what that looks like. Verse 25, it's truth speaking. Uh, Constructive anger versus destructive anger. Verse 26, productivity. Verse 28, constructive speech. Verse 29, kindness and graciousness. Verse 32, the new self is the spirit of Christ, the resurrection spirit of Christ, taking up residence in us and then seeking to flesh itself out in our daily lives. Well, how do we see that happen? How do I flesh it out? How do I, as Paul puts it, put on the new self? First, do you believe that you're still a slave? Do you still believe that you're a slave to fear and to judgment. And the, and the easy way to answer that is, well, how do you live? If you're living like you're afraid all the time, then that's probably what you believe you are. If you keep wondering if you're good enough, or pretty enough, or smart enough, or live in fear that you are, you are not all that you should be and that you're going to pay a price for it. Here's, I, I, have, I have something to exhort you to that's kind of scary. Embrace the truth. You're not. You're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not enough in and of yourself. But when you put your trust in Christ and despair of yourself, God gives you all the benefits of salvation in Jesus. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus perfection, and he accepts you. So when we put our faith in Christ, we can put aside our doubts. We can cast away our fears because God loves us. Not because of our own works, but because of Jesus. And that can never be taken away from us. And it allows us to deal honestly with what's going on in our lives. Instead of running from the fear that indeed this thing that we're doing really isn't a good thing, It's like, no, 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 we we can justify it. It's actually, I'm good with God. No, 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 it's bad. 
If you're dealing with something, you say, you know, I'm not sure if this is good, but I, I, I'm trying to justify it to myself, it's, it's probably bad. What do I do with that? No, I'm not right with God. Well, if you're trying to be right with God on your own actions, yeah, you're not right with God. But if you put your faith in Jesus, he considers you righteous. He considers you as perfect as Jesus. And now you can be honest about what's really going on. Because you don't have to fear rejection. And God can set to work at what he wants to really see happen in your life, getting rid of that thing instead of hiding it and covering it up and seeing right living fleshed out. And you set to work at that by faith. And I'm, I'm going to give you four things here to, 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 to put your faith in relating to the gospel. I'm gonna, it's all going to be G's, so hopefully you remember it. We need to have faith that the new life in you will work itself out, that, that it's seeking to bring out righteousness. That's the goal. Put our faith that God's goal is going to work itself out. We need to have faith that God will guide you by his word and in prayers. You need to, you need to participate in it. Put your trust that, that God's going to use those things to bring about his goal. So we have faith in the guidance that he gives us. We need to have faith that the resources God has given you will empower you to see this character fleshed out. That the, 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 the powerful spirit of God in residence in you is enough to see something amazing happen. That indeed God's given you the goods. And then faith that the failures that you most likely will experience, undoubtedly will experience, are already paid for. So keep walking the path. When you fall, when you stumble, don't say to yourself, oh, it's over. It's not. Believe the gospel. There's grace for the sinner. There's grace for the disciple. Get up. You need to have grit. And you have grit by believing the gospel even as a disciple. And the ways we embody that faith, that's the path of discipleship that we're walking down. And just like we each have our own ways of putting on our clothes, our, our morning rituals, the pattern of discipleship in each of our lives might look really different. But in the end, we're all trying to do the same thing. Get our clothes on. Be dressed in the righteousness of Christ. You know, back when I was in college, I had this really foolish interaction with, my, with one of my roommates. You know, when you live with somebody, they really begin to see the patterns of your life. I mean, everything that you're doing. And uh, I, used, I would get out of the shower, I'd dry my hair, and then I would, I would comb it, and then I would get dressed, and then I'd have to sort of neaten up my hair a little bit. Um, and my roommate said, why do you do that? I said, why do I do what? I said, why, why do you comb your hair and then put your shirt on and then comb it again? That's dumb. Just, just wait. Just wait to comb your hair until after you put your shirt on. And I said, why do you care? <laughs> but he did. And so ensued this, this debate about the proper order of dressing and grooming. <laughs> but we can be like that with discipleship too. You know, well, there's a certain way to do it. There's a certain way to put your clothes on, your, your clothes of righteousness. You know, everyone knows that the best path of discipleship is theological study. That's the way you got to do it. Someone else will say, no, no, no. You got, you got to be involved with the small group. That is the only way you're ever going to learn really about community. Another person will say, I disagree. I disagree. It's all about caring for the poor. If you really want to know what it is to follow Jesus, you got to go do this. And then still finally someone else will say, you know, you're all wrong. Any program path of discipleship stifles the spirit. That's just wrong. And these debates are about as helpful as the one that I have with my roommate about the proper order of grooming and dressing. But one thing we, we can all agree on, 
We should all put our clothes on. (laughs) The Lord has given us different personalities, different interests, and to a certain degree, we should respect that and, and, and honor that as we enter into a path of discipleship. And as we, meaning Green Tree Church, as we're trying to provide understandable pathways for discipleship for you, you know, we, we confess that we haven't always been great at it, but we're going to try and, and, and focus on it this year and create some pathways. Not one size fits all. We want to respect the differences, but we can't all be completely boutique because that would be chaos. So we're going to focus on three paths of discipleship that, that you can enter into. And we're going to follow the tagline of our church. You all know the tagline of our church? You know, the three things that we talk about? Anybody know? Dig in, branch out, live it up. And we're going to talk about these three paths of discipleship. Not that you can stay in one and not be in the other, but, you know, some people tend to emphasize one thing more than the other. That's all right. So some of you are head-oriented. And if you're head-oriented... Get involved with a Bible study uh, or a theological um, a group that's looking at a book or, uh, or the Westminster Confession. Attend a class. Join a discipleship group. Dig in. Some of you are activ- activist-oriented. So get engaged with the poor. Uh, learn more about evangelism and, and, and start doing it. Um, get involved with missions. Branch out. Do, do things that kind of bring you out of your comfort zone. Some of you are experience-oriented. So... Uh, dive into worship, get involved with fellowship, uh, live it up. Um, and we have different ways for you to embody your faith in these discipleship paths. And we're going to be creating more uh, to bring you further down those paths of discipleship. If you are a dig-in personality, uh, we have discipleship material for you, little, nice little, little packets of five meetings, okay? And if you're interested in that, we got that for you. Come talk to me. If you're interested in leading someone else through it, Take advantage of that. If you're a branch out person, we have, an oppor- we have opportunities for you to get involved that, that stretch you in, in the process of doing those things. Everything from helping out with our shepherding groups, and some of you are like, are sitting there going, what's a shepherding group? And that's really kind of the problem. Uh, we're going to talk to you about shepherding groups and, and, and helping make sure our people are connected in our congregation. And if you're interested in that kind of work, come talk to me because we need your help. Uh, getting involved with our shepherding groups or engaging with community renewal efforts. If you're a live it up person, we invite you out to the men's breakfast on January 20th or to the women's if conference coming up in February. The opportunities at Green Tree are myriad. You know what that word means? Myriad. You've heard that word before? Anybody know what it means? That's, That's half of it. It's a lot and it's varied. All kinds of different things. But whatever you choose, do something. Please, put your clothes on. (laughs) Get involved. Put your faith into action by following one path of discipleship or another. And you will see the new life begin to flesh itself out. Will you stumble? Will you fall? Will you fail? Yes. Yes. But keep believing God's grace for you and get up. Believe that the gospel is not just for the sinner, but for you, the disciple. Get back to that Bible study, the prayer group, the missions team. Even if you haven't been in six months or a year or 10 years, put a sense of shame or guilt, put that aside and get back on the path by faith in the gospel. But you have to make room for it. 
You have to make room in your life for it. In fact, when we fail to put our faith into practice, we in essence are resisting the work of God's spirit in seeing Christ fleshed out in us. That's what Paul is talking about in verse 30 when he says, when he implores us not to grieve the spirit. He says, don't resist this great work of God's spirit in you. Don't grieve the spirit. Participate in it by faith, believing these things. So the question for you now is, What will you do? What will you do in response to Paul's exhortation? Will you be like so many Americans who who make a resolution, wanting to do better, but trusting your own strength and finding that you abandon those promises after a short time? As Christians, will you make big promises to yourself, to the people you love, to God himself, but then abandon them? Because you just, yourself can't do it by force of will. Or, Will you despair of yourself and begin to live like the gospel is really true? The gospel, not just that Jesus died for your sins, but that he has given you a new self that wants to flesh itself out. Will you seek to nourish that new life by getting involved with the word and prayer and worship and fellowship and service or anything else that might fit one of those pathways of discipleship? Do you want to get back on that path today? I want you to know that your church stands ready to help you. And and this day, if you're needing guidance, email me or email our new women's ministry director, Peggy Dimitri, who is now officially on staff as the women's ministry director. Some of you wanted to applaud that. That's, that's, That's very exciting for our church. We stand ready to help you get on that path path that works for you, a path that will be for your blessing and for the glory of God. The gospel changes everything. And if you're looking for a way forward, put your faith in Jesus this day. This day, begin getting back on the horse, getting back on that path, and know that your church stands ready to help you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we had to be with you this morning in worship, uh, in prayer, as we look at your word. And we do pray that your spirit would be at work in us, uh, reminding us of the truth that in Christ we are new. We are new creations. And that that former way of life should be put away. Help us to do that and to bring to life the character of Christ in us that wants to flesh itself out, that we might be a blessing to the people around us, a testimony to the power of your spirit and for the glory of your name. We ask it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.